kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and pray for this opportunity to come before you in prayer. Lord, bless us and keep us and help us to do as you have us to do. Lord, this is our first inaugural Sunday night in a long time. We pray that your presence will be with us. Lord, that we can lift you up, that you can lift us up. Lord, that we will praise you, that you can inhabit the praises of your people. Help us, Lord, to do as you have us to do in all things. We ask in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing. Let's sing some of these older praise choruses that many of you have sang a long time. This song simply just says, What a mighty God we serve. And we're going to roll right into, uh, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. So let's worship the Lord tonight.
Father, we do worship you today. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we get ready to segue the remaining portion of this service dedicated to you, Father, I pray, God, that something that we have sung or said or the prayers we've offered up have been an encouragement to the body of Christ thus far today. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes and hearts and ears to hear what your word has to say tonight. We will forever give you the praise, glory, and the honor for all that you do for each and every day, for us each and every day. In Christ's name we pray. With church together says, amen and amen. You may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord today. Well, there are a lot of people that are out today. Uh, some are traveling and various other places today. And we are praying for them today. I think the computer is frozen on me back there. I don't know what happened to it. It's just decided to just shut down tonight. Apparently, it's not used to Sunday night church yet. Apparently, it's working its way through Sunday night worship. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 10. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 10. And uh, maybe at some point in this service, the computer will catch up with the rest of us. You know, it's always an exciting time when, you know, new things are on the horizon and things are happening on all over the church and over the campuses and things like that. And uh, I know it's going to take some time to get back into the, if you will, uh, swing of things uh, to get everything kind of back operational. Uh, But uh, I've missed being at church on Sundays more than once a day. Uh, I know for some people that, you know, maybe that's all you were accustomed to growing up to was Sunday morning. And, and if that's if that's what you're accustomed to, to God be the glory. You know, we there's nothing wrong with that. That's your prerogative. But, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, we didn't uh, we didn't get that luxury, if you will. Uh, Mama and Daddy uh, pretty much. Well, look at there. OK, it's pulsating now. That's that's good. Uh, Mom and Daddy didn't give you a lot of choices. Um, a typical Sunday afternoon in my family was you went and ate lunch unless mama cooked and then mama cooked we ate at home you go get lunch you'd come home and you might get about a two hour nap dad would get up about four o'clock between four and four thirty get up he'd go either to his office or he would leave and go to the church and he would prepare his heart for the remaining portion of that evening service mom would finish getting everything cleaned up and she'd tell me all right go get your clothes on etc so on and so forth or if I was with friends, if, even if I went home with friends after church, she always say, you either need to be home by this time or you need to take clothes with you and you need to be showered and dressed and I expect you to be at church by 5.30. And she meant that. Uh, if I showed up at 5.45, it was not pretty because uh, she said 5.30. <laughs> so uh, she meant business. But uh, I told some of the band the other week uh, when we were uh, gathered together, that uh, back home, uh, we were excited about Sunday night church because Sunday morning typically was like the don't mess up service. Like that's because all the visitors are coming and all the doctors and lawyers are town. Anybody of any, of any uh, uh, status would show up on Sunday morning to visit, you know. So you wanted to make your, sure your I's were dotted, your T's were crossed, everybody had their finest on. The greeters were on point. The ushers were on That means everything had to be spot on. But Sunday night, it seemed like 
we didn't really care necessarily about program as much. Because Sunday night, typically, as you can see here tonight, and those watching online, you, you will attest, Sunday night typically was what we used to call the cream of the crop. That's the people that were committed to come to church no matter what. They, were, they wanted Jesus. And because they weren't so uh, concerned about the notoriety of service, what they would do is they would, in using an old phrase from the olden days, they would let their hair down and have church. They didn't care. They, they, they weren't here to impress anybody. They weren't here to make anybody feel uh, like that they were uncomfortable. They just came to have church. It was Sunday night. They put the effort to come to church on Sunday night. So they came to have church because that's what they did on Sunday night. And I was telling them the other week, I said, you know, we used to call it at our church back home, throwdown services. We called them throwdown services because we fully expected on Sunday night for something to happen. Whether it was the Spirit of the Lord to move, whether it was the Holy Ghost to move, whether it was for somebody to get saved, something should happen at church that night. And, you know, we used to have a running joke at the church that if the pastor preached actually got to preach, we were kind of a little let down. We kind of were disheartened by that because we kind of expected something to happen. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with the Word. Don't get me wrong. But it was like we, we was almost like, well, we were hoping for something, you know, to happen. I think I just wanted it to happen because I got tired of hearing my dad preach all the time because he preached to y'all on like Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. I got preached on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sometimes Saturday, and sometimes I got a sermon in between church on Sunday because I didn't listen the first time on Sunday. Now, sometimes his sermons were a little bit different than y'all. Y'all joined the church, and he gave y'all the right hand of fellowship this way. My version, he never extended the right hand of fellowship to me the same way. He never was quite as engaging. His hand of fellowship went this way with y'all and went this way to me. I don't understand how he got that confused. But on Sunday afternoon, my right hand of fellowship was a lot different than yours on Sunday morning. But I remember those services, and I remember as I was thinking in my office today, I was thinking about even as a kid growing up, as a teenager, we looked forward to Sunday night church. We were excited about it. And now we live in a day and a culture, and I'm not, listen, I'm not bashing anybody how they do their church. I mean, if other churches don't have Sunday night programs, I mean, that's, that's up to them. I'm not bashing anybody. I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I think as a culture worldwide, we've tried to take shortcuts, if you will, or remove Jesus even more and have less of church than more of church. We've tried in our society and our culture all right, listen, we're not going to have Sunday school. What we're going to do is we're going to start worship at 1030, and we're going to go to 1230. We're going to have an action-packed two-hour morning worship service, and that's all you get for the week. No Sunday school, no Sunday night. Your midweek might be home group Bible studies. And, and if that's what church that you know people like, then, then to God be the glory. But, but I think we're living in a day and hour. We need more of Jesus, not less of him. I mean, let's be real. We, we could use a lot more of Jesus in the world than, than less of him in the world. Now this is a very familiar story that I'm going to uh, uh, read to you tonight. You, you know this story. But but uh, as I if I were to kind of have like a come back to church on Sunday night. Powerful just really capture your heart. I really feel like this is this is the way the Lord would have it go. And, and if you're physically able I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And hopefully all these screens will, will 
coordinate with us. If not, you'll have to use your old-fashioned Bible. I know that's tough for some of y'all, but uh, on my Bible, it's page 652. Uh, so if you're on 652 in your Bible and it's not the same, uh, you got the wrong Bible. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it is 652 on mine. They came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho, his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he's blind, y'all, so he can't see who's coming. He can only hear who's coming. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried even more and made a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. It means Jesus stopped in his tracks. He stopped moving. Stop. Boom. Right in his tracks. He commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good comfort. Some translations will say of cheer. Arise. He calleth thee. Who's he? Jesus. He's calling for you. And he cast away his garment. He rose and he came to Jesus. Jesus answered unto him and says, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Lord, I, I want to be able to see that I might receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole immediately. Don't misread the Bible. See, sometimes we read the Bible, we're just trying to get through our daily reading app and just trying to get through it as fast as we can and say, Well, I read my Bible today. We don't misread it. Jesus first says, go your way, your faith has made thee whole. But he's still blind right now. After Jesus says those words, then immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. I wonder what would happen if he didn't follow the command. Think about it. Wonder if Jesus said, go thy way, thy faith, and made thee whole. And Bartimaeus said, yeah, that's not going to work for me. That's Sunday night, Pastor. I can't go to church. <laughs> Would he have been able to see? I don't know. I don't know. So for a few moments, I just want to talk to you about, this is, my, this is your pastor preaching to you today. I'm not preaching at you. You're, you're just letting me preach and vent today. I know Sunday night's an intrusion on your schedules. I know. You have plans, you have ball games, you have pool parties, you have family gatherings, you have, I know some of you have to work tomorrow, I get it, I know Sunday night's an intrusion. So for the next 30 minutes or so, let me just say, please pardon me while I am an intrusion to you tonight, pardon my intrusion. Father, give me the very best ability, not because I'm anything, but because you are everything. To convey your word to your people. I need this word to go forth because I believe it is life changing. I thank you for the spirit of God we felt in this house this morning. I thank you for the people of God that were here and the receptiveness to the altar call this morning. And time of consecration. But God we're in your house once again in a new place. At a new time to meet with you once again. Speak to our hearts Lord. and Help us to hear from you once again. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Let the church together say amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. All right. 
And here's what I need you to do. I need you to turn to your neighbor and say this. you got to turn and find you a neighbor if you're alone. Find somebody else. Make a friend. I want you to tell them this. Pastor is intruding on my schedule. I want you to turn to the other side, find another neighbor, and tell them, I hope he preaches quick. Because I didn't eat dinner yet. Here's what I've learned in my short lifespan on earth. People don't like to be inconvenienced. Man, y'all went nominal church on me tonight. Y'all don't even want to be Pentecostal on Sunday night. All right. People don't like being inconvenienced. I mean, let's be real for a moment. I mean, they say honesty is the best policy, so let's be real for a moment. I have never met anyone who liked to be disfurnished of their schedule. I have ne- Now, some people are more adaptable when their schedule gets thrown off, but nobody likes it when their schedule is thrown off. We like routine. We like to know we're working Monday to Friday or we're working, you know, whatever our work schedule. We don't like it when the boss says, which I need you to come in for overtime or come in those weekend. We don't like intrusion. We don't like it when the boss says, oh, you got two choices, come in or not have a job. And, and he basically, in better terms, forces our hand to come. We don't like being intruded upon. We don't like it when people don't take our schedules or our, our way of life into consideration. We don't like it when someone calls us up and makes alterations to a plan that's already in place. Come on, somebody. You know how many people don't like it when you make a plan and say, okay, on Thursday night we're going out to eat and we're going to meet at 7 o'clock at the restaurant and at 6.59 they look at you and go, or they call you and be like, yeah, we're not going to make it and you're already there with your name on the list. You know how bad and frustrated people get about that? I've been there actually and done that. In fact, the nice young lady that's here with me tonight, she was with me. I said, hey, I hate to ask you this. It was, on a, it was a night she wasn't working. I said, Somebody wants to go out and eat with the pastor. Can we go? And blah, 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 blah. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. So we go. We get to the restaurant. We put our name and we set. And we set. Church, I just want to tell you, we waited patiently on the Lord by sitting a long time. I finally went to my car because I was embarrassed sitting so long because I didn't want to sit you until your whole party got there. We called. We texted. We tried to find out. It was a good hour after the scheduled time to be meeting. My phone goes off and says, yeah, we decided not to come. See, here's the problem with the world today. The world does not like to be disfurnished. You know why the world is in pandemonium right now? Because they don't like it when people call out their sin. They don't like it when people call out their bluffs. You know why people are doing what they're doing in the world today? It's because they have no fear of anything else because no one's man or woman enough to stand up to them. Come on. They know they can get away with it. They know they hold the trunk card. They know they hold the ace of spades because nobody's going to call the bluff. See, we don't like it when, when we're disfurnished or things happen. We don't like it when our schedules get awry. We don't like it when things aren't going perfectly. When we, you, For an example, it's Thanksgiving Day. You've been up since 6 o'clock in the morning. You put, you've basted the turkey. You've stuffed the turkey. You've shoved so much stuff in the back end of that turkey that that turkey looks like it's stuffed before it goes into the oven. I mean, it's stuffed to the gill. 
and you put it in there. You got all the trimmings. You've been making you've been making uh, cornbread dressing, hopefully with sausage and sage in it. You've got gravy. Come on, somebody. You know I'm preaching better than you're shouting today. That's good preaching. That's Southern Thanksgiving right there. You got well, some of y'all probably call it candied yams, but we gonna just go ahead. We got sweet potato souffle. We got the caramelized pecans on the top. It's so sweet that your mama is not even as sweet as this is this sweet potato uh, souffle. You got it all laid out. You've got cranberry sauce and you got you know all this all this stuff. You got the macaroni and cheese. Man, it's the spread. Everybody says they're coming. And then the phone goes off. Well, we 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 decided we we ain't gonna make it. You got this whole spread of food. Now you might be eating good for a month. But in that moment, you're also mad because you've put all this effort in and nobody appreciated your efforts. See, I wonder how God feels when we can say to him, well, God, you got one hour on a Sunday, and that's all you get in my time. That's all you're getting to me. Lord, I know you've got... A feast spread before me. I know you got a table spread before my enemies. Lord, I know you've got a whole endless supply, a buffet of blessings from heaven. But you better do it between 11 and 12.30 because that's all you get this week. You know, I can't come on Wednesday night. Okay, I understand. But pastor, you don't understand. Sunday's my family day. Y'all, y'all real quiet. You know how many times I've heard now, Pastor? I only get two days a week, Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday, normally I'm doing laundry. I got all this stuff. So Sunday's the only time I get to spend with my family. You ever thought that this is a good place to bring your family? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> See, the problem is, we have been conditioned by the world. Instead of the world affecting the church, the opposite has happened. The church has been affected by the world. We're starting to infiltrate the policies, practices, and paradigm shifts of the world in the church rather than the church influencing the outcome within the world. You see, you don't tell your boss on Tuesday morning, well, it's family day. I guarantee you, in all your years of working, you never called the boss and said, now every Tuesday I can't come in because that's, that's family day. Because you know you'd be unemployed. You'd have no job. But because you don't get a paycheck from God, that means that you're qualified now to live a life to say, okay, but... But I have to work because I have to provide for my family. Who do you think gave you the ability to even have the cognitive function to go to work? So somebody else is helping you. So every time you say, well, i got to go to work or i got to do this, i got to do this, you should also make sure you know that in any moment God could change that outcome too if he wanted to. God could cause the job to play out. You don't believe it? Go see how many people are working at Gates Rubber right now. Come on, somebody. Now, everybody, there's some of you sitting here tonight, and, and, and I'm thankful you're here tonight because you can help the pastor tonight. You had a job there, but it changed. We had to get another job. Did we make ends meet? Sure. God's been good. He's blessed us. Some of us had to change jobs. Jobs play out, but God does not play out. He's the 
same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Things may change around me, but God never changes. He never changes. We might have to get new jobs. We might have to get new careers. But the job, God could take the job. What if God took your health? You aren't going to be working if you can't get up out of the bed. Come on. It's funny that we can have the sniffles on Sunday morning and say, Well, Pastor, I think i got a sinus infection or a cold. And maybe you do. But we sneeze twice, self-diagnose, and don't come to church. But it's amazing that you feel better on Monday morning to get up out of the bed, take a shower, and get to work. A miracle happens on Sunday. It's like you rested all day and it just changed the outcome. Maybe you should have rested on Saturday than going out on the ball field or on the boat. Maybe you should have rested on Saturday so you could have been in the house of the Lord on Sunday. If one day is all it took. See, I have learned that people don't like to be intruded upon. You don't like it if somebody comes and rings your doorbell at 3 o'clock in the morning while you're sleeping. You'll shoot them. Okay, I know that only three people, amen, but I know the rest of y'all would shoot them too. You just don't want to go to jail for murder. Y'all shoot them. Don't lie. Don't lie. Y'all just ring doorbell. If that thing doesn't show you who their face is, you're going to be pulling a nine mil out and sending it right through center mass. Bam, they're gone. And you're going to be like, I hope they knew Jesus when you're done. I know y'all. I know y'all better. Y'all from Berkeley County. Y'all ain't playing with them. Come on. Y'all ain't like y'all from Dorchester. Y'all from Berkeley. Let's go. We're going to shoot them. We ain't playing. We shoot first, ask questions later. This is not the other way around. The reality is we don't like that. I wonder if God ever feels like that way when we treat him with similar situations. When when it's like an inconvenience to be with him. I wonder if he ever feels like, wow, I didn't know I was such an intrusion on them. You see, blind Bartimaeus is sitting outside of a city called Jericho. Jericho is, as we have talked in many different lessons and stories, and in Sunday school and other places. Jericho was known as the city of palm trees. It had many palm trees, also known as the city of lunar deities, or the city dedicated to the moon gods. Jericho was a fortified city. It was almost impregnable. It was, it was, it was, it, it was such a massive city, you couldn't penetrate it. The walls were so thick, and it was staggered. We, we know the story of Jericho. We know from Joshua and the battle of Jericho. We know all about Jericho, but you have to understand something. Though Jericho was a massive city, though Jericho was this 12-acre tract, a metropolis of a city, there was also a segment of people that were not welcomed in the city. They were not welcomed within the safety and security inside the four walls of this impregnable city. That, that Some people didn't get the same harboring of, of safety in this city. These were known as the poor, the disenfranchised. Those that were downtrodden. There were some people that they wished they could get within the city, but they weren't allowed in the city. See, the walls within the city only protected and harbored and kept safe the, the elite, the people that, that were the upper echelon or the, the people that, that, that were, were, were of, of the city folks, the sophisticated folks. But if, if you had some kind of abnormality or deficiency or you had some bad luck in life, you got stuck outside the city gates. You got banished. You got left out. You see, it's funny to me. 
And I'm not talking about the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. When I say the Church of God, I'm talking about the universal church of the living God. Every denomination, every walk of life, you know, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, AME, Seventh-day Adventist, you know, uh, Catholic, you know, Methodist, Church of God of Prophecy, Pentecostal owners, I mean, whatever, you know, not a nom, whatever, you know, all of them. At large, the grand scale of churches at large, we feel we, we kind of do the same thing. If you dress right, look right, have the right amount of money, you can come to our church. But if you're different, you're a crack addict, drug addict, prostitute, alcoholic, you just some whacked up dude, there's a nice church right across the street. Let me introduce you to their pastor. Come on, church. Many churches like to pass the disenfranchised, the poor and needy off to the next because they don't want that kind to contaminate what they already have. But God did not call us to keep only the nobility within inside the four walls of this structure. In fact, in, in fact, I have often said when I was serving in other locations, thank God this the Lord has never actually tested this theory, and I pray to God he never does, but I've often said, you know how you'll ever tell if a church is real or not? Let the building burn down and see what happens to the church. Think about what I just said. Let us walk in here next Sunday morning and this is down to the ground. What are we going to do? No loss of life has been lost. Nobody, we lost a few sound equipment and we lost some, some, some maybe some novelties. But nobody got killed. Nobody died. But how will we react? Because in most cases, we define church by all this. The screens, the lights, the air conditioning. Y'all, some of y'all have been in church long enough. Y'all remember sawdust and tents. There wasn't no air conditioning. You got a fan, a handheld, stapled plastic fan. If you were Baptist, Methodist, you got two staples in it. If you were Pentecostal, they put two bolts through it because you were going to fan that thing to death. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. But now, if the air conditioning breaks, we can't come. Because we're intruded upon. That's inconveniencing. What if the lights, what if this storm today that came through would have knocked out all the power? What we had done? Now, now, that's the right answer. But how many people do it? Let's be real. Most churches, if the lights went out, how many are going to come to church that night? Come on. See, the reality of it is we live in a day and an hour. We define our ability of the church by this rather than this. We, the Bible said, are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the church. This is just a building we meet in. If you don't come, we don't have church. You're the church. I'm the church. This is not the church. We're the church. Whether we're on this property or we're standing in Walmart's parking lot singing Kumbaya via guitar, then we're having church at Walmart, not here. We're the church. Bartimaeus is sitting outside the gate. And he hears Jesus is coming. See, Brother Gil, what I've learned in this story is I have learned through psychology and other things that I have studied that it often has been proven that if you lose one of your five senses, the other four get a new heightened, it's like they get stronger to 
compensate for the loss of the one that you just lost. So a lot of times, I've been amazed. I, I, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I am amazed at blind people. I don't want to be blind, but I'm amazed. I'm not talking about just, just, just the sheer, but I'm amazed with the walking sticks. I've seen people literally navigate all over places, and you would have never known it. They got sunglasses, and you'd have never known it unless you knew they had a walking stick. So much. They have mastered the art of knowing how to listen and be perceptive to ear hearing and, and listen to the sounds of traffic and listen to the sounds of talking, and they know how to navigate life. They have, it's like they have this sixth sense that none of us have. They just know how to navigate life. It's incredible. I'm incredible. I, I am amazed at deaf people. I'm amazed at how many people have had been able to hold down jobs and stuff and through the art of sign language and other things and people that can read lips. Oh, my gosh. I have met people that I thought that they were actually understanding my conversation and come to find out they were deaf, but they could read lips and communicate. It's incredible what these people can do. But can I tell you, spiritually, we were like that one day. Every one of us, before we came to know Jesus Christ, we were blind to Jesus. Just like Bartimaeus, every one of us have been blind to God at some point in our life. Now, you might say, Pastor, I'm not blind to him now. I've been saved. Well, praise God. But there are a lot of people that are still blind. They don't know who Jesus is. They're blind. Some of us, we're not deaf back then. But over time, there's a lot of people that used to come to church. They came Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They supported the church. They used to fill up this auditorium and other auditoriums around but over time, their ears grew wax and cold, and they became deaf to the Word of God. The Bible said that if God didn't shorten the days, the very elect would be deceived. He said that in the last days, people would give their way to itching ears and, and to a doctrine that was not sound, and their love of many would wax cold. That means they would not hear the Word of the Lord anymore like they're supposed to. There are men and women not only from this church, but other churches that used to be here that we could verifiably go by these pews and say, so-and-so used to sit here. They used to come to church here. But something happened. They got deaf to the things of God. They quit coming. They, they quit seeking the face of the Lord. They, they literally became cold to the things of God. Bartimaeus heard Jesus was coming. He couldn't see him. He only could perceive through hearing. All of you Bible scholars, help the preacher out today. Faith comes by seeing or hearing. And hearing by the word of the Lord or word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Faith doesn't come by seeing. In fact, you know what the Bible says about seeing? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things. You know what you can't do if you're blind? See. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That means if I can't see it, I'm blinded to it. When you're driving a car, there's a spot. For all of you who haven't taken your driver's license test, y'all might want to pay attention. This is the pastor helping y'all pass this test. There's something known as the blind spot. The blind spot is the part of the vehicle where the rearview mirror is not catching it. And nothing else is catching. You don't have those little sensors on the side of your car beeping at you and letting you know somebody's there. It's the spot that if you're not careful, if you don't actually turn and look, you would actually find yourself getting hit or in trouble because it's in a blind spot. Every one of us in our spiritual journey have had times in our lives where the devil has put blinders on us or blind spots on our journey. 
There are some of you that have went to this church, some of you that have went to other churches. You know men and women who you used to go to church with, people that used to sing in the choir, sang on the praise team, played the instruments. They were at church. They taught Sunday school classes. They were faithful as a, like, a like, like every routine. You knew every Sunday they would be there. And right now you know that they're not where they need to be with the Lord. Something happened in them. They got a blind spot. They got blinded to the things of life. Bartimaeus began to hear that Jesus was coming. And, and he began to say, he was like, if that's him, if that's really him. And the Bible said he does something unique. He cries out. I love what he does. Because it is interesting to me. He can't see. He can hear. He can smell. He can touch. He can vocalize. He just can't see. What Bartimaeus learned, and we as the church of the living God need to understand, is that sometimes we can't let our circumstances dictate the outcome of what God wants to do. It doesn't matter if your marriage is in shambles right now, if the job is playing out right now, or it seems like all hell is coming against you. Don't let your current situation and your current circumstance define the ability of God's outcome in your life. He knew that I'm blind, but he knew that there is always the possibility and the potential something different could happen. He didn't have to have, Brother Stan, a lot of faith. The Bible said you only have to have the size of a grain of mustard seed to move a mountain. Anybody know how tiny a mustard seed is? It is small. It is the tiniest of all seeds. It is tiny. God said if you just had that much faith in your life, you could speak to that mountain and be, tell it to be moved from here to yonder. He knew he didn't have a lot to offer, but he knew there's always the possibility. So he cried out to Jesus. He's been ostracized by the church. He's been put outside the city gates. He, he, he visited a, a church of God and a Pentecostal holiness and a Baptist. He's been to all the churches and visited, but nobody could give him the answers he was looking for. He went to every meeting. He went to every association of the blind. He, he did all those things. He's had good, well-intended people walk by and say, I'll be praying for you, but no one actually stop and do it. Oh, come on. Y'all know I'm preaching now. Y'all know how many people ask somebody to pray for them. You hear people all the time, oh, we'll be praying for you. And let's be real. Come on. Let's just be real. Some people don't mean to do it intentionally, but, but how often... In our lives, don't, don't, don't raise your hand. But if we told somebody we were praying for them, and then like two or three days later, we'd be like, oh, no, I never did pray for them. Like, we forgot. Now, I'm not blaming us. I'm just saying, how often have we said it? That's almost become like a broken record. Oh, I'll be praying for you, but we don't follow through. Nobody has stopped and offered to pray for this man. Because think about it. If God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore, don't you think if anybody had faith to to pray for him that he could have been healed with or without Jesus physically being there? I mean, some of y'all that's been healed, anybody here been healed ever of anything? I don't care what it is. Just raise your hand, wherever. Anybody? Okay. Let me ask y'all a question. Did the physical embodiment, the divine creator, creator of heaven, come down in human form and touch you like you saw Jesus directly, tangibly in front of you to touch you right then? But you're still healed, right? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. You didn't touch him like Thomas, but you felt the, the, the effects of the presence of God moving in your life. I wonder if just somebody that was full of God would have stopped by and said, You know what? I'm going to pray with you because I believe God can do it. 
how much that would have changed the outcome. He cries out. He's been poor. He's disenfranchised. He doesn't really care about public opinions. Boy, I wish the church got to that point. One thing I love about Bartimaeus, I wish every pastor, and I, I wish that Fox News and CNN would show up here and let me just preach for 30 minutes on their program. Everybody needs to know one thing about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus did not give two cents what you thought about him. And the church needs to get to the point we don't give two cents what the world thinks about us. We're doing what we know we're supposed to do. Bartimaeus got to the point, you can laugh at me. You can, you're already doing that anyway because I'm blind. You can make fun of it. You're already doing that anyway because you stuck me outside the city gates. You, you, you don't even, you, you drop one coin in, into the, to the pot here and you make me think that it's worth something but you only gave me a penny but it sounds just like a quarter falling in because you don't think I can tell the difference in the sound. I know you're making fun of me but that's okay. Bartimaeus was, I know, he knew they were making fun of him. He knew he was ostracized. He knew he was poor. He knew nobody cared about him. He knew his family had abandoned him. He knew he was sitting outside with the other beggars. He knew that nobody gave any, had any affection or love towards him. He knew that and he did not care. I know I'm on live stream, but let's just go ahead and just shoot myself in the foot while I'm here. You know what would do the church real good? We don't care if we got censored on Facebook because we're still going to preach the word of the Lord. We don't care if we get a thousand likes on our YouTube channel because they may not like what we have to say, but one thing they'll never be able to say is we didn't tell them the truth in the process. We're not here to make, and, and I, I listen to the pastor carefully. He's like, oh, he's going on a rant, but just listen to me carefully. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to win lost souls. That's my job, not to be your friend. It's to help you show you Jesus. That's all I'm here to do. And at the reality of this, if we would stop trying to be friends with the... You know what the Bible says? To being friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. That means you are an enemy of God. So instead of trying to be their best friends, maybe I should try to show them Jesus and work on discipling them and we can be discipled together rather than just trying to be their friend all the time. See, I, I believe that if the church of the living God universally would get to a point we didn't care what Fox News thought, CNN thought, the Republicans, the Democrats, the Tea Party, the Communists, whoever party's in, in leading at that time. If we as the church of the living God got to a point we didn't care what the critics thought, we didn't care what the news media thought, we didn't care what the church across town. Come on somebody, y'all know I'm telling the truth. If we would stop caring about what's going on across the street at places and only focus where God has planted us and bloom right where we're planting and quit worrying about what this church is is doing or that church is doing or what this person's doing or that per or trying to have a pastor that does this or trying to have a music department that mimics that if we would just do what God called us to do and quit worrying about everything else we might be surprised how much God honors that but we're always trying to compete he cried out he didn't care what they thought about him remember the disciples they're out there drowning on the boat and they're crying out Jesus is sound asleep they're like Lord do you not care we're going to drown and he's like, guys, I'm on the boat. I mean, come on, y'all. Like, we're not going to sink. I'm on the boat. Do you realize if I sink, if the boat sinks, I'm going down with you? Do you think I want to drown? I mean, how dumb are y'all, boys? We're not going down. He gets up, goes across the bow of the boat, and he says, hey, peace be still. See, I told you, now I'm going back to sleep. Don't you call me again. I'm going back down to sleep, all right? That is the JKV version, not the King James version. That's the Jonathan Keith version of that story. But the reality of it is, it really is the same. See, Jesus will hear us when we cry, but sometimes... Even in the midst of our crying, we have to realize we don't really care what is going on around us. We just need to make sure we get a hold to God in the moment. 
You know what the disciples weren't thinking of when they were about to drown? How much fish they caught the day before. Didn't really matter. If you're dead, your fish don't matter. Come on. It don't matter if you got five pounds of fish in the freezer. You've caught, you've caught 35 pounds of catfish. You know what? It doesn't matter if you're dead. Somebody else is going to have a good repast on your behalf. Hopefully I'm the preacher so I can go eat some of it. The reality of the fact is that's all well and good, but when you hit your wits in, there comes a point. It really doesn't matter what's going on around you because, well, you're in a bad situation right now, so nothing else matters. We have to get to a point that no matter how bad the world gets and no matter how bad life gets, we got to get to a point that nothing else matters than making sure that I get a hold of Jesus in the moment. I'll cry to Jesus at any moment. Doesn't matter, day, night, more. I, I don't care what's going on. I've got to get a hold to God today. That's my primary target. Bartimaeus knew that if he remained silent, the, the, the rocks would cry out on his behalf. He refused to hold his peace. He refused to be victimized by the standards of men. I wonder if we would stop being so concerned about the standards of men and be more concerned about the principles and precepts of God's Word, what church would look like on Sundays for us. You know why I think most people don't come back to church on Sundays? Especially Sunday nights or other time? It's, it's really not. Yes, it's an intrusion of their schedule, yes. But it's, it's really not a hard thing to figure out. You know why you can have... 150 people show up on Sunday morning and only full 40 on Sunday night or have you know, 60 people come on Sunday morning and 20 come on Sunday. You know what happened to the other 40 people? Now some people, I understand they may have to be out of town or, or other things. And, and some did tell me they wouldn't be here tonight for other reasons. But, but you know why universally churches are less? Because it's a heart issue. Most people go to church on Sunday to get like a religious credit and feel good about themselves. It's like I went, I did what I'm supposed to do. And, ooh, I feel better about myself. Now I can go do whatever I want to because I, I did my part. I gave God a little time. I did my part. We didn't give God our first fruits. We just gave him part of the fruit. It's a heart issue. You say, well, how dare you? How could you say it's a heart issue? Because you don't give your job part time. You give your job full time. I would like to believe, I, I've never been in your home, everybody's home in here, but I'd like to believe you don't love your kids part-time. You love them full-time. I'd like to think that you love your spouse, not part-time. If you do, that's not good. I would like to think you love them full-time. I didn't say you'd always like them. There's a, there's a fine line there, you know. I'm glad some of you aren't sitting by your spouse and, you know, elbow them a little bit, and you know, but... I understand that you don't have to like them all the time, but you, you love them all the time. You know, I learned a long time ago, you can love somebody, you just ain't got to like them. <laughs> Do it all the time. None of y'all are in that category, by the way. I just want to go ahead and preface that. I'm just saying I have learned that. Like, it's none of y'all. I'm positive. I'm positive it's not y'all. But you don't have to like everybody. You just have to love everybody. See, he knew that the standards of men were... A certain way, but he was not concerned about the standard of men. He was concerned about the voice of God. Do you notice that the harder that they tried to stop him, the harder they tried to convince him that he needed to keep silent? The Bible used the word charge. 
And this is what I'm going to leave you with tonight, and then we'll we'll look at this story in, in, in depth again next week and continue this idea. You have to look at verse 48. Verse 48 has a unique way to describe this story. Hopefully this screen will work, but I can show you. Many charged him to hold his peace. Now, I know that's King James Version. Let me just tell you real simple. A lot of people told him to be quiet. Don't talk. That's really what that means. You put all the these, thou's, and all the English you want to. He, literally, a bunch of people said, be quiet or we'll escort you out of this building. Keep your mouth shut. That's what it meant. Many. It didn't say a few people. It said a lot of people. Many. Many means a lot. A lot of people told him to be quiet. Now, if he were Pentecostal, this is what he would have done. When the pastor would have came up to him, because somebody came in church and said, Pastor, they're being disruptive in church. They're a little too noisy. They need to do something about that. Could you tell them to please pipe down, quiet it down? They're a distraction to me. Pastor's so kind, he goes and he tells them. Here's what would have happened. In a good church, Pentecostal church, we would have had our sergeant of arms and our armor bearers to go politely talk to the gentleman and say, hey, look, we'd love for you to stay. But if you can't abide by the rules, we're going to have to politely ask for you to leave. And he had two choices. He could have obliged and probably more than likely been quiet, or we would have asked him to leave. That's not what Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus didn't go, oh, I understand. I am so sorry that I inconvenienced you. Remember what the title was, Pardon My Intrusion. He, he didn't say, you know what, I, I'm so sorry I inconvenienced you. No, that's not what he said. He cried, the more. That means he got louder than the first time. See, what happens is, the harder they tried to silence his praise, the louder his praise became. The harder the world tries to stop the church is when reality we should get even more brassier and louder than we were before. The harder they try to shut us down is when we prove to them that we are a force to be reckoned with, and thus saith the armies of the Lord of God, the hosts of heaven's armies, we are. If God be for us, who be against us? We're, we're going forward. The harder they try to stop us should be the even that should just be like fuel to a fire to push us over the top. But you know what we do universally? Cower down. We do. We cower down. I'm not talking about just global pandemics. I'm, I'm talking about in general. Just a little bit of uncertainty and threats and things like that. Man, it, it'll, it, it's just like it cripples the church. It does. He gets told to be quiet. And he says, I can't do that. I'm going to yell even louder than before see I believe that we're living in a day and hour that we have been charged by our own country our own nation we have been put at a crossroads if you will in our spiritual journey you don't believe it look at some of the things policies procedures that they're trying to do it's going they're trying to cripple the church if you don't start letting people use your buildings they one of the the, one of the laws right now that they're trying to pass is, is that you, you would not be able to hire people at church that, that you could not discriminate in the essence in terms of if somebody wanted to join, uh, to want to be on staff at your church, 
and they didn't, even if they didn't line up with your core values of what your church believed, that you could not bar them from employment just because of that. So they could come in here and be employed, and if they were just as qualified as anyone else and could prove it, we could be in trouble, even if that's because we say that they don't agree with what we teach, that, that they would say that we're, we're being a bigotry and, and we're slandering. And literally, you could, just, you could have someone that's professing homosexual be on your pastoral staff because we, we can't stop them. That's on, that's on the docket in our country, not China. Here, they're pushing their agendas. They're challenging us. I learned a long time ago in sports, you got two choices. When someone issues you a challenge, accept it, or wilt beneath the pressure of it and, and, and let them dominate it, and, and you just wilt away. I played sports all my high school career. I loved, when, especially in basketball and baseball, I always loved the guy on the other team who challenged us. It was like the fuel to the fire. I always loved the guy that would stand there at home plate and he would point his bat towards center field like he was about to hit the ball out in the park. I threw it at his head every time. He wasn't going to hit it out. I might knock him out, but he wasn't going to hit it out. I only did it twice in the same game. But the point to be made, it was like a challenge to be accepted I used to love it when they'd talk smack on the basketball court before the tip off some doobie over there being like y'all ready to get beat tonight and I'm just thinking oh yes I am I can't wait I hope you come down the floor the first time and let me just knock you off your feet one good time I don't care if I get a foul I just want to knock you on unconscious for a minute it was a, it was a challenge that should be the way it is for the church when the enemy rears his head we shouldn't be like oh I'm sorry. Pardon my intrusion. We should rise up and be like, come on. That's what you want to do, devil? You want to try to silence us? Come on. If God be for me, who can be? Come on, devil. I'm ready. Let's, let's, let's go to war. Because God doesn't want a coward church. He wants a powerful church. There's going to be a remnant at the end God's going to take home. Whoever it is, there's going to be. So we can either cower to the things of this world or we can stand strong for the things of God. Here's what I've learned, and I, and and Miss Carol, as you come, I'm I'm ready. I'm closing. Bartimaeus, he had not been healed yet when all this was going on. In fact, Bartimaeus had not, no pun intended, had not seen God do all that God could do when all this that I just described to you was happening. He, God had not opened his eyes yet when he started screaming and praising the Lord and crying out. He, 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 Bartimaeus had not been able to see yet when he's, he's giving God his, his praise and saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing has changed in his status of life yet. Which tells me sometimes I have to do things even before God does things. I sometimes have to do some things first in faith. Faith comes by hearing. Remember, he's blind, so all he can do is hear. Sometimes I have to do things in faith with no guarantee of when and if the outcome's going to change, but only knowing that there's the possibility the outcome may change. Bartimaeus has no guarantee anything's going to happen at this point, but he knows it's possible. He knows it's possible. We are blessed here at our church. We are blessed in lots of different facets and, fi- and factions. We have a beautiful facility. We're debt free. You know, a place like this, 
most people that would have a facility like this would have some kind of debt attached to it. may not be a lot, but I mean, I know the church has been around 94, 95-ish period, but, but even then, still, I mean, a lot of churches would have debt in a facility with this, this large, with all the you know, sheds and, and amenities, they'd be in debt. You know, we told the story countless times. Ms. Brenda was the clerk at the time. I mean, we took a faith to, to, to renovate parts of this sanctuary. And, and by the end of the year, man, we were basically paid off everything we borrowed. We borrowed against ourselves because we didn't want to go in debt. But we knew it would take a big chunk in the bank. But, but, but God worked it out. He worked it out. You know what? We didn't have to go sell chicken dinners down the street. We didn't do some capital campaign and everybody have to go basically sell your left kidney to help us pay off the mortgage payment. No. God did. God paid it off for us. Last week, under the sound of the voices that sang in this auditorium and heard the word of the Lord go forth, last week, 62 people heard Jesus Christ in service last Sunday. This Sunday, we had 14 people that I came up with today that they were out of church. But I verifiably counted and I said to Miss Dale, 14. But still 60 people showed up today. Y'all know what 60 plus 14 would have been? 74 people. These are not people that just I saw and visit one time and I, oh, well, maybe they'll come back again. No, these are people that are viable. Deborah Wolf and Jamie Ben and Haley and, and, and others, Robert Chambers and, and other I mean, verifiable people. God's been good. But there are so many other people out there that are lost. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to know that God's still able. I've been presented in a unique opportunity the other week. Many of you know about a ministry in this town called CLM, Change Lives Ministries. They have a retail store. Some of you may have even donated stuff there. A retail store right there off of Main Street area. It's the retail store. They sell it to help raise their monies. There's a drug and rehabilitation program here in Berkeley County to help get people off the streets. They go through it's a Christ-centered focused program. It's kind of like going through a, 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 a you know an AA meeting kind of thing or a Celebrate Recovery, but but it's all Christ-centered. It, it's very focused, and you have to meet certain things or you get kicked out of the program. I mean, it's very centered. They have graduations for people who complete the program. Over time, being able to preach at different revivals and things around this area, I've got to know some of the, the, the leadership of that and, and spend some time with them and, and, and get to know them. In fact, uh, some of them, and in fact, in August, I have them coming in August and just some of the men from the men's house come and, and just share some of their testimonies to, to our church just to hear while God's moving in our community, to, to just know what we're a part of in this community. But they asked me about four months ago, three or four months ago, to come and be one of their Bible teachers. So once a month, I go and lead chapel, if you will, for this. They have to go to certain, get so many chapel services in. And once a month, I go teach one of their chapel services. I met these different men. Now every month, sometimes I may have the same group. Sometimes somebody may have graduated since the last time, and, and they're gone. But there's always a revolving door of 10 to 12 men that I, I get to just sit with and talk about Jesus with. Sometimes tears streaming down their face, and sometimes, you know, they're telling their stories, and you're just thinking, wow, like, I'm blessed lost families, lost houses, lost loved ones and, and trying to build their life back together but every year in August they put on a big one a, once a year, a big fundraiser it's like their annual banquet slash fundraiser 
they have, they bring in guest speakers, and this year they're having some professional fisherman guy, I don't even remember his name now, coming in to be the guest speaker. And you can sponsor tables, and you can do different things. And uh, If you sponsor a table, it will cover the ability for eight people to sit at a table, cover their meal, and give portions of the rest of the money to CLM, and they have different tiers, and, and one of the tiers is a, is a $500 uh, uh, sphere that covers the table and then gives a big chunk of that to CLM to cover that opportunity. And the Lord wrecked me a couple weeks ago. Now, you hear this, Pastor, very carefully, and then I'm going to pray. This was even before I put this sermon together tonight. I went back and looked through YWEA, the world, uh, Youth World Evangelism Action, which is the youth and discipleship aspect of world missions in the Church of God, and all the world missiony stuff this church has sent over the years. We have been very good supporters to world missions. Always have been. Israel, other places. That's great. And I am honored. And listen to me carefully. I am honored to say I pastor a missional-minded church that's about reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. That, not every church has that ability to say that. I am proud to say we do that. But God brought to my remembrance a scripture the other day and it wrecked me in my office. You're going to know it. But I never thought about the scripture in the same light until that day when I was sitting there preparing my lesson to go teach at CLM. Here's the scripture. What does it profit a man if he gains? You know what I just said, the kind of missions we do? We do world missions. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but, but, loses his own? Well, Pastor, you try to tell us we don't need to support world missions anymore? No, not at all. I still believe in that. 100%. We're not quitting that. What about the one that lives right across the street? What about the one that lives with the Monk's Corner address? Or Berkeley County address? Are their souls less important than the children in Uganda? Or in Africa? Or Costa Rica? I don't think God looks at it that way. I think God's looking for all souls. Now, I'm not asking this church... Some of you may have already got text messages about I'm not asking this church to, we're going to do a monthly whatever like we do to World Missions to CLM, no. But I would like, through prayer, through fasting, through just seeking the face of the Lord, I would love to present that, that ministry, a thousand dollar check. Whether we raise it, I don't care how we have to. I don't, I don't care if we all just write a little more on our ties. But I've already started with, with above my giving to try to, to help that just chip away at. But I would love to, by, by, by the time August rolls around or, or shortly thereafter, first week of August or so, to be able to say, you know what? I'm not saying this is a monthly thing, but, but I just want to invest in something that I, the Bible says you sow seeds in good soil. I've been there, I've watched them, I've seen how this program worked, I, I, I've taught these classes, but I, I have been moved. By what does it profit a man if he gains the world but loses the one right next door? Because here's what I know could happen, and I pray to God it doesn't. 
but that could happen. What if one day Micah is the one? He was raised in church. He knows the ways of God. He gets messed up. He gets blindsided. He finds himself in a dungeon or a ditch of life, if you will. And a CLM type program, wherever he may be in life, is needed or my son is not going to make it because he's in bad situations. You can instill it in them, but they still make their own decisions when they get older. I would like to believe, Miss Sybil, that there will come a point that if my son ever got to that point, some church would believe in some ministry that would reach out to try to make sure my son doesn't die and go to hell. They would try to help him. Even if I can't help him, somebody else would go find him. I don't know who all those men are necessarily. their families. But that's somebody's son. That's somebody's brother. That's some kid's daddy in that room. That's somebody's former spouse. That's somebody's uncle. That's somebody's somebody. I'm not against giving to world missions. I may never meet the kid in Uganda, and I'm not saying that we still don't support that, but I may never meet them this side of heaven. Once a month, I stare in the eyes of men who have been at rock bottom, and they're trying to find their way through the power of Jesus Christ back home. So I I have talked to Sister Carol a little bit, just shared my heart, and Brother Randy just shared my heart about it, and just telling him about it. Telling them, you know, how it's been messing up my world the last few weeks. So I want you to pray about it. We're getting ready to pray and be dismissed. But I want you to pray about what what, what God will let us do. And it can be a progression. If you can only do $5 and, and, and air market on tithing on $5, just put CLM. You don't have to even write anything. Just CLM. That's all you got to put. Three letters. I'll know what it means. But here's what I do know. I know that every time that we've given out for something... God's given us twice as much back when we got home. Every time. Father, I pray in this moment you would speak to our hearts. Let the cries of our heart be after you. Pardon the interruption that we are that we've had tonight and, and just furnish some of our schedules tonight. But, but God, I think it was worth it to spend with you. Father, I pray that you would be with us today and you would speak to our hearts in this moment. When we leave this place, let us be able to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Let us be able to walk out of this place today and knowing that God, you have been in our midst and we have spent time with you today. Bless our endeavors, bless our families, bless our children. May May you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts. May the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're dismissed, those that are online, God bless you. We are so glad you are with us. and We thank you for being there and, and we will be back next week as well. But let me just tell you how good God is. God is so good to us that in the midst of, and we've talked about global pandemics and our finances and things like that. But God, every time we have spent out anything here at this church, 
The old scripture says it's like pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. God has done that. And I firmly, I say this more as a, as a, as a charge, I guess you would say, uh, that rather than a challenge. But I don't believe I've been proven, God has proven me wrong time and time again. I don't believe you can outgive the Lord. You just can't. You, you, you just can't do it. And I believe, I know some may think, oh my gosh, Pastor, $1,000. Oh my goodness, have you lost your marbles? You know what? Maybe I have. But I also know God can give it back to us. He can give it back to us. Because I believe anything we do for the kingdom of God, God's not going to curse what we're trying to do to advance His kingdom. He blesses those who bless Him. He only curses those who get greedy and don't want to bless His kingdom. So pray about it. Don't make a decision today. Pray about it. we got a couple more weeks we'll be collecting. Just air market sealing. But pray about it because I believe, I really believe, that God could use this church just sowing a seed. But one day one of us will stand before God in heaven and God will say, you see all those people standing over there? The monies you gave brought them to Jesus Christ. We may never meet them, but I do believe we can have a part in the advancement of God's kingdom. So I want you to pray about it. I love you. I am praying for you. I hope you have a good week. Don't forget we're having Wednesday night service at 7 p.m. here at church. We'll be back full schedule next week. Same thing, morning and night. I love you. Thank you for coming out tonight. Have a wonderful week. I I am so honored to, to see all of you again tonight. And I pray you have a blessed week. Shake hands, fist bump, wave at a distance, whatever you need to do to be dismissed. right yes please pray for brother dennis's family who is battling that as well i love you god bless you and have a good rest of your week amen